May I speak in the name of one God, a trinity related in unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. She was a woman who was no doubt the victim of her circumstances and lack of social privileges. And that day she did something bold, unexpected, even forbidden. We owe her recognition and a great debt. Versions of the washing of Jesus' feet occur in every gospel. That means it's important. We should pay attention. This version tells us that Simon the Pharisee knew her and of her sinfulness. From this, we assume her sin was widely known in the community. If so, we can also assume she was ostracized and utterly alone. Everyone in the town knew who she was and what she did. Oh, she had money enough from her work. She could buy expensive perfume to wear, a year's wages worth according to another account. But no one liked her. And I often wonder at it, how social structures can help a very few rise to the top and become rich and famous, but also press others into lives of desperation. Those strange sets of personal, individual circumstances that determine who has a backyard pool and who daily carries a leaf blower on their back. Those circumstances that determine who is a well-regarded Pharisee or a new deacon and who must support themselves using the only commodity left to them, their own body. She probably did not feel safe venturing out, but certain times of the day might have been safer, such as mealtimes in the evening when fewer people were out. Sometimes, if a crowd was big enough, she could even risk venturing out in the daytime, anonymous in the crowd. But still, it was a very dangerous thing for her to do. She could be recognized. She could be attacked by those who presume to litigate on behalf of proper society. But on this day, on this day, she ventured out in a great hope, a great hope that she placed in an itinerant rabbi. She'd heard it said that he was a prophet, maybe even more. But for the first time in a while, she dared to hope She had heard that this man was different. There were so many stories of forgiveness and restoration. He gave dignity to all who came to him, even women with a past. Why, he'd even healed a woman suffering from seven, seven demons. She was now even one of his closest companions and disciples, this Mary from Magdala. And then there were the stories of other women who he had healed or forgiven, women who now supported and cared for him and and his disciples. If only it was true, there might even be a place for her too. She could break out of the trap into which the social order 
and her desperation had forced her, and in which her notoriety now held her. And so imagine with me. Imagine that she tried to get close to him that day, but the massive crowd that followed Jesus was just too big. It kept her pressed away to the outer edge of the throng, and she dared not push into the crowd. Social convention about the place of women in her society and her notoriety kept her pressed to the margins. The crowd following Jesus excluded her from being able to approach Jesus. And wonder with me too, when have I pressed others who want to get close to Jesus away because they did or were something I did not like? Simon the Pharisee would have made it his business to know the sins of those in the town. And oh yes, he knew her. He knew what she was. She took an awful risk entering his home. It was an exceptionally bold thing for her to do. But we shouldn't be surprised. This is the Bible after all. Women often take the boldest actions in Scripture. And the greatest stories of our scripture flow through strong and bold women. This is no different. And so she acted boldly in the hope that she could be restored, that she could find real relationship, that she could again be known by others free from bondage. I realize the word sin is fraught with baggage. It's our fault, us in the church. Throughout history, we in the church have all too often used the term to shame others. But we are a gospel people. We are here not to define or accuse others of sin, to shame them. We are here to witness to the love of Jesus that has overcome sin and has overcome shame and continually calls us back into relationship, into community with him and with one another. The ultimate goal of sin is to put us so in despair of wholeness and wholeness of ourselves and wholeness with our community that we destroy ourselves. No. Our gospel is one of grace, of faith, of forgiveness for everyone, not shame. People greater than I have admonished us to remember that all sin is communal. It destroys human dignity. It wrecks relationships. Sin and shame rupture families, end relationships, get us fired Shaming others is the opposite of the loving relationship demonstrated for us in the communal mystery of the Trinity, those three persons in one being whose name this cathedral bears. Shame works against the full relationship that we are called to share with every other human person, each an image of God, each an image of God, straight or gay in a nightclub in Orlando, Republican 
or Democrat, all images of God. So what can we do? We cannot rid ourselves of our own shame unless we confront it. And we can confront it in the light of the triune God, in the love that Jesus bears for all people. And we can welcome home those who seek to return to our communities. The woman in today's reading boldly goes to a place where the law dictates she is not welcome to perform an ablution that the law states she may not make in the house of the one person who she knew would be the most zealous in prosecuting her in her shame. And Simon's self-satisfaction is so apparent. It seems his question about whether Jesus really is a prophet has finally been answered. Because if Jesus were really a prophet, God would surely tell him that this woman was ritually unclean and unfit to touch him. The law demanded a very different set of actions than those that Jesus was about to take. And Jesus knew Simon's heart and spoke prophetically. Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak. And we hear about great debt and even greater forgiveness. And Jesus makes it known that she is forgiven, not as a quid pro quo for costly perfume. She received forgiveness because she sought it in faith. Jesus restored her to the community through a relational act. Her bondage by systemic oppression was released. And I don't think it's at all coincidental that the ranks of the women who supported Jesus' ministry immediately follows on this story in Luke's account. I believe that she joined the other women in supporting Jesus and his disciples in the Jesus movement. John's version of the story even names her. She's none other than Mary, sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus, a very beloved and notable disciple indeed. Her story demonstrates that our justification that is, our entry or return to the kingdom of God, is not on account of anything we can do ourselves, but on account of faith alone. And this was echoed in Paul's letter to the Galatians today. Paul tells us, we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And the example of this woman exemplifies the truth of it. We receive grace when we give ourselves over to faith, over to hope, over to love, like the woman we read about today. And just like the other women who supported Jesus' ministry out of the same gratitude, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and all those other bold women noted but not named in the passage today. Women who lived relationally. Their faith was spoken about then and retold and retold and then written down so that we can talk about it today. It's such a gift given to us, reminding us to live in faith and share it with others. Consider your own story, the stories that brought you here, about any shame you have left behind and grace you have received about the community of faith, 
hope and love you have found here in the body of Christ at Trinity Cathedral. And just as the woman in today's reading, grace has set us free. Faith sets us free. And it's such good news. But only if we share it. Be bold. Amen.